You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Isaiah 57. I want you to read that verse 15 with me. I'm really going to be focusing on verse 17 and 18, but I want to read verse 15 again. Notice that with me. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Now, who is that talking about? Obviously talking about God. I dwell in the high and holy place. We would all agree with that. Who does God dwell with? Who can inhabit that high and holy place with the high and lofty one? He says, I dwell with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Think of the disparity in that. The high and lofty one, the one who is referred to as holy, dwells with those who are humble. As you read through your Bible more and more, you should begin to see patterns and repetitions emerge. You won't see them if you just read your Bible. But if you take time to study your Bible and put your heart into it, you will notice patterns and repetitions. And I'm not talking about the obvious repetitions like rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I am talking about patterns and repetitions of lessons that God is trying to teach throughout all of Scripture. Have you heard before, repetition is the key to learning? Have you ever heard repetition is the key to learning? And then somebody also said repetition is the key to learning. When I think of the major life lessons that I have had to learn in my life, I did not learn them in a one-time teaching lesson. I learned them through constant reiteration over a very long period of time. Now, I have a hard head. Don't laugh at that. I have a hard head. So that's, that's what it takes with me. Constantly pounding in the same nail to, until it finally sinks in. But we're all a little bit more hard-headed than I think we'd like to admit. With this being the case, is it any surprise that God often repeats himself in the Bible? Jeremiah compares God's word to a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. What is that rock if not for the hard head and the hard heart of sinful man? Isaiah talks about God's word having to be laid precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little, just so that God's people could understand. Hebrews 5 talks about people who need to be retaught the first principles of the oracles of God, the simple things, the basics but yet we have to be retaught them. All throughout God's word, God repeats himself. Not for filling words in paper like we do trying to write a 200-word essay, right? He does it for sake of emphasis. Always does it for sake of emphasis. Repetition is God's way of saying, don't miss this. Think of some of the lessons that God constantly repeats throughout scripture. How about obedience equals blessing and disobedience equals not blessing? That's repeated everywhere, through story, through statement, through people, through places. It's always repeated because he doesn't want us to miss that. If you obey me, I'll take care of you. You disobey, I can't help you. Punishment is coming. How about wisdom? Is that not repeated all throughout scripture? Wisdom is the principal thing. 
Therefore, in all thy getting, get understanding, right? That's, that's repeated all throughout. How about grace and faith or the Holy Spirit, the ministry and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit repeated all throughout Scripture? But the lesson that I am seeing more and more lately in my Bible, and especially since I started studying through this book of Isaiah for our Through the Bible series, the lesson I'm seeing more and more repeated again and again is about the matters of pride and humility. It's everywhere in the Bible. Almost on every page, God is hammering home the nail of the danger of pride and the need of humility. And no wonder. What is man's idea of success? Man's idea of success is how high can you rise? The higher you rise, the more successful you are. That's man's idea. Climb on top of other people if you need to. But rise as high as you can get. Never maintain. What is God's idea of success? How low can you bow? That's God's idea. And that's why Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him in the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Do you think it was humbling enough for God to be put in, in a man's body? Do you think that was humbling enough? How humbling was it for God Almighty to come down and be laying in a, in a dirty manger? That's what this time of year is all about. Not this. Not gifts under the tree. The, the, the main gift, the unspeakable gift. God robed in flesh, but then he says he humbled himself again and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him. God's idea of success is how low can you get? Think of, think of the Tower of Babel. Let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name. That was their goal. The very next chapter, God tells Abraham, if you just humble yourself and obey me by faith, I will make thy name great. That's not a coincidence that those happen just right after another. You have men saying, let's make ourselves a name, and God says, if you just humble yourself, I will make thy name great. Think about other stories. How about Pharaoh? How about King Saul? How about King Nebuchadnezzar? Men who all raise, men who God spends a lot of time on in the scripture. Men who all raise themselves up in pride. And what did God do with every single one of them? Brought them down. How about Moses? How about David? How about men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Paul, who were all men of great humility? And so God raised them up. So why did God choose to repeat this lesson of pride and humility throughout his word? Why does he do that? We must have a problem with pride. If he's going to repeat about wisdom, wisdom must be important. If he's going to repeat about holiness, holiness must be important. If he's going to repeat about pride and humility, there must be something that we need to hear there. And there must be something that God in his infinite wisdom is going to know, you know what, if I don't constantly hammer this home, they're going to miss it. We are prone to pride. This country that is still the greatest country in the world, 
we have turned from our Christian principles that we were built upon. And we are becoming more like Sodom and Gomorrah every single day. And forgive me, I don't know exactly where it is, but the Bible says the sin of Sodom was pride. And do you find that a coincidence that that is their rallying cry today? We often believe that we are better than we are. We often believe that we are bigger than we are. We often believe that we are wiser than we are, stronger than we are, higher than we are. But hear me well. One day we will all stand before an almighty king of kings. And we will know, we will finally see just how wretched and poor and small we really are. Is anyone warm? Anyone at all? Miss Amanda? <laughs> She's carrying a human. Be, give, give her a break. Give her a break. I'm a little warm. Brother Rusty, could we turn uh, the AC on? Sorry, we have, these, we have these broilers up here. One day every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's my message this morning. Don't let the judgment seat be the first show of humility in your life. One day everybody will be humbled by God. You will have no choice. You will have to kneel. You will want to kneel. You will want to stay kneeling. But today God promises... I'll give grace to you if you humble yourself. One day we will have to humble, be humbled. But today, we are invited to humble ourselves. And God says, I give grace to the humble. Today, in verse 15, he says, I will revive the heart of the contrite ones. How many of you could use a little reviving this morning? I'm, I'm looking out, I see spiritual exhaustion, I see a lot of physical exhaustion. I don't know how long this cup of coffee is going to last, but I'm hoping it lasts until around noon. Some of you are running on fumes, I get it, and that's why I want to get a little cold in here. Give me your attention just for a little. This is an important message. He promises, I will revive the heart of the contrite ones. Doesn't David say in Psalm 51, a broken and a contrite heart, O Lord, thou wilt not despise. The verses that we just read are all in reference to who God refers to as the contrite ones, this group of people. And what we have in these verses really is, is a timeline, if you will. And as I was studying through this for the Through the Bible series, I wrote down six words, and I want to give them to you. They all start with, with the letter S. But it's, it's a timeline beginning where all men begin and ending at the destination where God wants all men to be. And I'll give you a spoiler. This is heaven. This is eternity with him. This is restoration of all that we lost in the garden. That is where he wants you to be. But we're going to see right in the middle of this progression, if you will, there's steps that need to be taken in order to get here. But right in the middle, we have a choice to make. And we will not reach there unless we let go of our pride. And I want to show that to you. 
Now, here's why I'm preaching this message. This is a salvation message. I'm sure it will be a help to people. If you, if you already know that you're saved, I, I trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But I am preaching to people who do not know that they are going to heaven when they die. I argued with the Lord about this message. I had another message that I wanted to preach. But I could not get away from this. So that tells me somebody in this room needs to hear this message. And all I can tell you is that I know how it feels to grow up in church acting like you're saved when you're not. I did it for many years of my life until I was saved at the age of 12. I acted like I was saved, but I was not. And there is nothing more fearful when the Holy Spirit finally gets a hold of you and makes you realize your pride will take you to hell and you have to let it go. Somebody in here does not know that they're going to heaven. I'm begging you to open your heart so that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. But we're going to have to get a, a handle on this matter of pride. So in order to launch this message, we need to start here. We need to start here where all men begin. We are all in the same boat right here. And let's go ahead and start reading in verse 17, just the first part of it. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. The first word I wrote down was our sin. That's two words, but sin was the word that I wrote down. That is where all men begin. The Bible says we come forth out of our mother's womb speaking lies. You know that precious little heavenly devil that you hold? That's a sinner. My child yesterday on the way back... On the way back from Chicago, crying all the time. Why? He wasn't hungry. He wasn't wet. He wasn't dirty. He wasn't anything. He was complaining about nothing. He's lying. He's saying there's something wrong when everything's right. Everything's perfect. He lives in a wonderful world that he's seen 0% of, and he's going to complain because he's a little sinner. But, you know, he, look at his father. And, not his mother. Look at his father. But the Bible says, for all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, one thing about my son, you know, he's 11 months old. He hasn't, he hasn't sinned willfully yet. He doesn't know what he's doing. But everyone comes to that point where you choose to sin, where you see how dirty it is, how disgusting it is, how black it is, and you jump in anyway. I don't know exactly when it was for me, but I'm sure it was very early. And all of us have reached that point. There is no man besides Jesus that has ever skipped this point. There is none righteous. No, not one. When we pray, Lord, and we often pray it, don't we? Lord, remove the wicked from this world. In order to answer that prayer, he would need to remove me, and he would need to remove you. I was thinking about this. If the sin of all mankind could be gathered in an ocean, and then if God drained all of the sin from that ocean except for mine, it would still be deeper than the deepest sea. Read the words of verse 17 again. Could you not place your name in it and the verse still be true? For the, for the iniquity of Johnny Che's covetousness was I wroth and smote Johnny Che. Now you know that's true. But we're, gonna, we're all going to read that, that portion of the verse out loud. And when we get to those pronouns, I want you to put your first and last name in. Read it out loud. Are we ready? Begin. 
For the iniquity of Johnny Che's covetousness was I wroth and smote Johnny Che. You need to put your name in there every now and then. For Johnny Che has sinned and come short of the glory of God. For Dustin Wallach has sinned and come short of the glory of God. For Ian Duncan has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Put your name in there. He says, I was wroth and smote him. What did God smite us with? Well, read the next six words of the verse. I hid me and was wroth. I wrote down the word separation. Because God will have no part with sin. Sin always causes a separation between the sinner and God. As much as darkness must flee in the presence of light, sin cannot exist in the presence of God. If sinful man were to enter into the presence of God, we would be immediately destroyed. You know that? Have you read Leviticus and all of those things where the holy of holies, where the presence of God was, had to be sheltered by a veil? And if that high priest walked in with any of his sins unatoned for, no more high priest. Because sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. What about Isaiah? What did we hear about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? When he says, woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and mine eyes have seen the king. He said, I'm done for. Because he is so holy. What were those angels screaming? Holy, holy, holy. And he says, I am unclean, I'm undone. Sin cannot enter the presence of a holy God. Doesn't Lamentations 3.22 say, it is of God's mercies that we are not consumed? Think about that statement with me. It is of God's mercies that we are not consumed. God is holy and we are sinful. So when we say that sin causes a separation between the sinner and God, it's God that brings that separation in his mercy. Because if he didn't separate himself from us, we'd be destroyed. We'd be consumed. Look at the Garden of Eden. Sin entered in, he said, cast out. You can't be in my presence anymore. It is of God's mercies we are not consumed. He says here, I hid me and was wroth. Now here's how, where things grow interesting. God did not create us to live in separation from him. But he allows that separation to come like the Garden of Eden. He allows that separation to come to teach us just how disgusting our sin is. And listen, please listen to me. God loves you more than you will ever know. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you more than you will ever know? You also have to believe he hates your sin more than you will ever know. He loves us enough to allow separation. He hates sin enough to tell us if we ever hope to be reconciled, that sin has to be taken care of. It has to be cleansed. Think about this with me. Does anybody have to tell you when, when you are in God's presence? Does anybody have to tell you that? Have you ever read your Bible before and it just, like it jumped out of the page at you and slapped you in the face? Have you ever prayed before and you kept your eyes closed because you didn't want to open it? You didn't want to open your eyes because you felt like God was in the room. Have you ever been in a service before where God moves so mightily you knew surely the presence of the Lord is in this place? Does anyone have to tell you? You know when you're in God's presence. I love John chapter 18 when those Roman soldiers come up. 
Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And they fall backward. You know when you're in God's presence. But here's another one. Nobody has to tell you when you're separated from him. You know when you're not in God's presence. You know when you are far from him. We know when we're separated from God. You know the dread that comes from realizing that God is far from you. You know the fear that comes from being out of touch with God. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Because you feel you're so far and you want to come closer. You can. He says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh unto you. And that's what we're talking about this morning. But you know that fear. You know that dread. You know the frustration of the feeling. It's not true, but you feel it. That even if you were to scream at the top of your lungs in prayer, it seems like God would be too far to hear you. You know the frustration of that. You know the emptiness that comes when you read your Bible and nothing speaks to your heart. When nothing reaches your soul because your iniquities have separated you from God. You know that feeling. We know when we're not right with God. There's no sweet sleep. There's no respite. There's no smile that isn't forced. There's no outer laughter that isn't hiding in her tears. We know what it's like. The Bible says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Look, just at the end of this chapter, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Within the heart of every human being is the ability to know when we are separated from God. And yet, even though we see our sin, and even though we see that separation that comes, how often do we just keep on going and sinning and sinning and sinning? It's our nature. Nobody has to teach you to sin. Nobody had to teach me to sin. We immediately jumped into it, and we became very good at it. Like a moth to the flame, like a pig to the mud, like a dog returns to his vomit, the Bible says. We know our sin is wrong. We know it brings separation. But over and over again, we choose sin over God. Look at verse 17. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth, and he went on. He went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I wrote down the word stubbornness. I've heard many people talk about their sin and they'll say things like, oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. All the devil can do is tempt. The devil can never make us do anything. When we choose sin over God, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. It is nothing but our stubbornness that causes us to continue in the sin that we know has brought the separation between us and him. It is not the devil that makes us sin. It's not the devil that makes us continue in sin. It is what made the devil the devil that makes us continue in sin. And pride made the devil the devil. I will be like the most high. Pride made the devil the devil and he will, it will make a devil out of you. Pride is what makes us so stubborn to believe that we can go on forwardly, contrarily, to what God says in his word, but I'm going to go the opposite way. Only pride can do that. What but pride can make us believe that our way is better than God's way? What but pride can make us believe that we will make it through this life without being near to God? What but pride can make us believe that we will reach heaven on our own merits? Sir, listen, 
It doesn't matter, and teenager as well. It does not matter how rich you are. Now, teenagers, I don't know how rich you are, but it doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter what's in the bank account. Ma'am, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter where you come from or what your last name is. It doesn't matter where you're going or how much you've achieved. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter where you go to church. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. Some of the people that know the Bible the most are atheists. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. When Satan tempted the Lord, he quoted scripture. It doesn't matter how involved you are in ministry. Jesus said it, and no truer words have been spoken. Without me, ye can do nothing. But how sad it is that countless souls just go on forwardly in the way of their heart. Countless souls are in hell today, and some even in this room. You will spend eternity in hell if you do not let go of your pride. How can I claim to be a preacher? How can I claim to be your friend? How can I claim to love you if I don't tell you the truth? And the truth is, every single soul in hell today was dragged down to the depths by the chains of pride. You have the key to let it go. Nobody is forcing you to keep those chains on. If you refuse to let go of your pride, you'll spend eternity in hell. Now think of this progression with me. Up to this point, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We've all had that separation from the Lord. And we've all been stubborn enough to think, we'll be just fine. We'll be all right. We'll just keep going and doing what we're doing. It's fun. It's pleasurable. But we want to be there. Anybody here, raise your hand. Anybody here not want to spend eternity in heaven? Okay, good. So we want, to, we, want to meet, we want to get there, right? In order to get there, this is, this is kind of an uphill climb. Imagine it as an uphill climb. Are you going to walk that with the chains of pride weighing you down? It's here where we must make a choice. We have to make a choice. Will we choose to number ourselves with the proud and have eternal damnation? Or will we number ourselves with the contrite ones and find grace in God's eyes? Look at verse 18. I have seen his ways. Who is, who, remember, who's his talking about? Who's that pronoun talking about? The contrite ones. In fact, all of, all of these verses that we just read, look at verse 17. All of these pronouns, the iniquity of his covetousness. I smote him and was wroth. He went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways. All talking about this contrite person. Contrite means penitent, remorseful, humble. Are we following? All referring to this contrite person. So think about this. This is really good. The same person that began in sin, the same person that was separated from God, the same person that continued in sin because he was stubborn and that was his sinful nature. God says, I've seen that. Seen his ways. He sees every stain of sin on your heart. He sees the vast gap of separation that that sin has brought. He sees it all. He sees it when we hear the gospel and we say no. He sees all of that. But if that same sinful, separated, stubborn person will just humble themselves, God just simply says, I'll heal him. That's it? We just read over that. I'll heal him. 
Even though I've seen it all, I'll take care of it. I wrote down the word Savior. That's what a Savior does. All of our sin washed away. All the separation reconciled. All the stubbornness removed. Forgotten. As far as the east is from west. But see, that's too simple for us, right? That's too simple. Why would God do that? Why would God heal after all we've done? After all the sin that I've committed, after all the separation that it has brought, and after all my stubbornness, we can look back at all the times we chose sin over God. After all of that, he just says, if you humble yourself and repent of your sin and ask me to forgive you, I'll heal you? No. No, that's too simple. There must be something I have to do. That is what the majority of the people believe. There must be something I have to do. There must be a religion that I need to join. There must be an amount of good that I have to complete. There has to be a prayer that I have to say. There has to be, uh, uh, uh-huh. There it is. Pride again. Only pride can make us believe that God needs our help to heal us. Only pride can make us believe that. The inescapable truth is this. Until we admit there's nothing we can do to be healed, we'll never be healed. Give up your pride and have a savior. Or keep your pride and have hell. It's your choice. The only hearts that God heals are the contrite ones. God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I hear people say, I'm a good person. Pride. I, I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I asked, who's good? And they, couldn't, and they couldn't answer that question. According to the Bible, there is none righteous. My sin isn't that bad. Pride. I'll find my own way to heaven. Pride. I'll trust my religion to save me. Pride. What will people think of me if I raise my hand and say that I'm not saved? Pride. Let it go. Let it go. It's taking you to hell. Pride will condemn your soul. You cannot have your pride and have a savior. Eternal fire, wailing and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, total separation from God, indescribable torment. But you know what, church? Take away the fire. Take away the darkness. Take away the falling. Take away the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Take away all of that, but keep separation from God and hell will be hell still you would keep all of those other things for eternity if it meant that you could see your God face to face again. The Bible says eternal healing will come to you the moment you humble yourself and ask God to save you. But there's more. Now, this, these are going quick. Not only does he say, I'll be your savior, he promises to be our shepherd, I wrote down. Says in verse 17, he, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 18, I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also. I won't just be your savior, I'll be your shepherd. Don't, do not let the devil sit on your shoulder and say, you need to clean up your life before you come to God. Listen to me, listen. Don't let the devil sit on your shoulder and say, you need to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. Do you get better and then go to the doctor? Or do you go to the doctor to get better? Jesus says, you come to me just as you are. I'll take you just as you are. But I'll make sure. I won't just heal you, I'll lead you. 
will be your shepherd. But there's more. He says he removes our sorrow is the next word I wrote down. And restore comforts unto him. Be honest with yourself. What has your sin and your separation from God and your stubbornness brought to you other than sorrow? Do we enjoy sin? It's pleasurable, certainly. Do we enjoy it? Do you enjoy your life of sin? When you choose sin over God, do you enjoy it? Some of the most sour faces I've ever seen have been in Baptist churches. Like a bullfrog holding onto a hand grenade. You will be, and here's why. You will be hard-pressed to find a more miserable life than an unsaved person trying to act like a saved person. The only life that I consider might be more miserable is a saved person acting like an unsaved person. You can be saved today. You don't have to act like it. You can have the real thing. But the, I, I've, seen it. I've seen it in churches. I, I've, I've seen it recently in this room. They don't smile. They don't sing. They don't fellowship. They don't laugh. They don't visit the altar. Everything about them is sorrow. What has sin given to you that sorrow hasn't taken away? What has sin given to you that sorrow hasn't taken away? What, has, what joy has alcohol brought to you that the sorrow afterwards hasn't taken away from you? What pleasure has lust brought to you that the sorrow afterwards hasn't taken away from you? What thrill has sneaking around brought to you that the sorrow afterwards hasn't taken away from you? Teenagers, if you're, if you're going to sneak around, here's the thing, okay? We're going we're gonna to put up standards and we're going to put up a fence. And we would rather build a fence at the top of the cliff than a hospital at the bottom. So that's why we have standards and that's why we, why we have convictions. And that's why we're going to teach you these things. Because eventually you're going to need to come to make the choice. What are my standards? What are my convictions? And by the way, base them off the Bible and find a church that bases off the Bible. But if you want to get into trouble, you'll get into trouble. And I'm picking on the teenagers here, but I'll spread it to everybody. If we want to get into trouble, we'll get into trouble. But one day the bill is going to come, and you're going to need to pay it, and you're not going to have enough to pay it. When you look back at your precious mother that you've broken her heart, every single bit of pleasure and fun and that sneaking around brought to you is going to be taken away if you have an ounce of heart in you. When you see your father at a loss for words because you've broken his heart. Husbands, when you've ruined your relationship with a spouse, there is nothing that sin can bring to you that sorrow will not take away. What happiness has pride brought to us that hasn't been undone by the sorrow it brings to us? What peace has following our own will ever, ever brought to us that sorrow afterwards when our will falls apart? If you want to know joy, if you want to know pleasure, if you want to know thrill and happiness and peace, if you want to have the comfort restored to you that sin has taken away, you've got to drop your pride. You've got to let that go.
And you have to tell the Lord, I see. I see that there is nothing that I can do to heal myself. And I need you. Confess you need a Savior and God will heal you. He'll lead you. He'll restore comforts to you. And I love this. And I'm done. And to his mourners. I wrote down the word somebody. You may not realize it. You may never have taken the time to think about it. But somebody is praying for you. Somebody is mourning over you. To somebody, the greatest gift that they could ever get would be for you to let go of your pride and turn to the Lord and let him save your soul. Your sin and your separation, your stubbornness is breaking somebody's heart. Could be a mom, could be a dad, could be grandparents, could be grandchildren, could be children. Very possibly, very probably, a pastor. Very possibly, very probably, a youth pastor or a close friend, somebody is losing sleep over you. Somebody is praying for you to humble yourself and let God save you and let God lead you and restore the comforts to you that sin will never bring. So it's decision time. What will you do? Are you going to go on forwardly in the way of your heart? You can. You can but it's a miserable existence. Or will you let go and turn to God? Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.